Good morning. How is everyone? Good. Turn to the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to read a couple verses in chapter 1 and then a couple in in chapter 2. Starting in chapter 1 in the first verse, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who escaped, who would survive the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then picking it up in verse 1 of chapter 2, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for bringing us here on this Sunday morning to worship your name, to talk about your goodness, to hear the truths that you have for us in your word. Lord, bless us today as we hear from you. May our hearts be receptive to your truth. May you go before us, Lord. Be with our children now as they're being instructed uh, in your word and in your ways, Lord. May the gospel uh, be ever fast attached to their hearts. And may the same be true of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you don't know the story of Nehemiah... The, uh, he is the cupbearer to the king, and he finds out, as we just read, that things are in ruin in Jerusalem because of the exile. Now, there's already been one set of exiles that have gone back, but he finds out that Jerusalem is still in trouble. So this upsets him. And he appears before King Artaxerxes because he's the cupbearer, and the king picks up that he's bummed out. Which is not good. You don't want to be bummed out in the presence of the king because he might do something about it in a bad way. Thankfully, he does something about it in a good way. And I want to pick up the story at this point because what Nehemiah does is he sets out on a mission. And what's really Nehemiah about? Building the wall, right? Building the wall. Where is he building it? In Jerusalem. He's building the wall, restoring the ruins, so to speak, in Jerusalem. So they end up, if you've read the book before, they end up getting the wall rebuilt, right? And what is the result once they get it finished? 
Well, look at Nehemiah chapter 12. In Nehemiah 12, verse 27, it says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nidophathites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. So, I mean, they're, they're gathering a lot of people for this worship service, right? Yeah. It says, I like how it says uh, in verse 28, and the sons of the singers gathered together. I mean, they're not just getting the singers, they're like getting everybody together. Like, they want to have a worship service. Pick it up in verse 31. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. And after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah. And then it goes on and talks about the different leaders. Pick it up again in verse 38. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. So what are they doing? They're thanking the Lord. They're, they're having a praise and worship service for what God has done. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, if ever there was a day to give a pro-life sermon, today's the day. <laughs> uh, Liberty Church is unashamedly pro-life. And this church has time and time again just done just about everything legal under the sun to be a pro-life church. Um, we've had numerous pro-life sermons We've had guest speakers speak on the topic. We've had training on how to present the pro-life argument. We've gone to abortion clinics and peacefully protested. We've collected endless amounts of diapers for single moms. We've collected uh, those baby bottles and filled them with tons of change, right? And donated them to pregnancy resource centers. Members in this church have driven mobile care units, staffed the mobile care units. Members have served for years and years at Thrive, a pregnancy resource center giving countless hours to minister to women. We've had prayer meetings focused singly on that subject. We've had people in this church serve in key positions in Thrive, and the list goes on and on. We've even had a member to be asked to testify before our state Congress regarding the pro-life issue, and she did so quite eloquently and powerfully. We've gone to pro-life banquets to raise money for the cause. We've supported women who've had pregnancies out of wedlock and we've supported them both spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and financially. Um, brothers and sisters, we support life. Yes. We've adopted a pregnant mom who turned away at the abortion clinic and chose to keep her baby. There's a baby alive today. Is one of our members 
went and ministered to her at an abortion clinic. And by the power and spirit of God, caused her to turn away and have her baby. And let me just say something. I'm so blessed as a pastor to, to pastor a church such as this. That has a heart for the unborn. And I'm blessed that as a pastor, I know I can give this sermon and no member will send me a nasty email. <laughs> that makes it easier to give this sermon, but it doesn't make it easy. But it makes it easier. And let me just say this. Even if Roe v. Wade had not been overturned, our efforts have been worth it. And they've made a difference. So my title of my sermon today is A Day of Days. A Day of Days. And the first day of days is today is a day of rejoicing. Like a real day of rejoicing. Uh, God has been gracious to stop the bloodshed at the federal level of innocent human lives. In Psalm 34, uh, let's turn there and look at it. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Are we seeing that he's good? Yes. He is very good. He is very good indeed. Blessed, is, goes on, is the man who takes refuge in him. You taking refuge in the Lord? Yeah. Always, right? So God was gracious. Today is the day of rejoicing. Uh, first in our nation for striking down such a, a horrible uh, law. Then in our state, <clears throat> uh, believe it or not, Missouri was the first state in the nation to outlaw it uh, once Roe v. Wade was abolished on Friday. Yes. Uh, one one, one uh, site reported minutes after the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade Friday morning, Missouri became the first state to invoke a trigger law banning all abortions in the state, except in cases of medical emergency. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt issued an opinion that would trigger parts of a state house bill that outlaws almost all abortions in the state. And then Governor Parsons tweeted shortly after the Supreme Court decision that he had um, Activated. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but activated the Right to Life Act in Missouri, which was on the books, prepared to go into enforcement as soon as Roe v. Wade was struck down. Uh, <clears throat> when God does a work, brothers and sisters, it's most appropriate, one, to acknowledge the work, um, two, to talk about the work. I mean, just think for a minute about uh, the Psalms. If you read the Psalms on any type of regular basis, uh, you can get a lot of history just from reading the Psalms from the Old Testament. And it'll talk about, you know, remember Moses and his great acts and remember Abraham and what he did. I mean, so time and time again, and the Psalms are like the worship book of the Old Testament. And time and time again, what are they talking about? What God has done. They're always talking about what God has done. So they're acknowledging his work. They're talking about it. And then we want to rejoice about his work. Rejoice and then keep rejoicing. He has done a great work. We need to rejoice in it. 
Think about Nehemiah with building the wall. Do you all know how many days it took them? Days, months, years? 52 days. It says it in Nehemiah 6. 52 days, all right? It took 49 years for us to achieve this victory in America. Think about that. They're rejoicing about a wall being built. A wall being built. They have a worship party because the wall is built. Now, I'm not trying to downplay the wall, okay? Because obviously it's quite significant in showing that God was restoring, you know, the nation. But 52 days they did it. And here, 49 years for this awful precedent to be overturned. It is most worthy of rejoicing and talking about. We're rejoicing that innocent babies' lives will be spared. Think about the wall. Who built the wall? You're like, that's a trick question. (laughs) Men and women built the wall, right? I mean, they had the mortar, they had the brick. Remember, in one hand, they got like their hand on the sword, and the other hand, they're, they're building it. But God built it, right? What about this law being struck down? How was it struck down? By five justices. Five justices. If you read the opinion, six to three to overturn the Mississippi law, it was actually only five to four to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. So five justices, but who really struck it down? God. God. Amen? All victory to him. And listen to this. Think about in the Old Testament. You had different kings come into power, and some of them were good, and some of them were bad. And what did the good ones sometimes try to accomplish? They tried to knock down and take away the high places. Right? They knocked away the high places. But what would happen sometimes? New king comes in. Sometimes that high place gets rebuilt. So guess what? We've had a high place knocked down. Okay? We need to make sure it stays knocked down. We need to make sure. So we've knocked down one of those high places. The enemy is not happy about that. He's going to do whatever he can to bring that high place back. So let's just be clear. It is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. So what's the immediate effect? If you haven't kept up in the news, and I don't always, but I don't know where you were at. But my phone started blowing up early on Friday, and then I started, you know, I started checking different news sites to just kind of have verification. <clears throat> and I followed it, both sides, all news sites, you know, some out of curiosity, some just to see how righteous and evil people react to the same thing. Yes. It was interesting, though. Uh, the staff at Alabama Women's Center for Reproductive Alternatives in Huntsville on Friday told women in the waiting room that they could not carry out any more abortions that day. In in Little Rock, Arkansas, the doors to the patient area shut as soon as the Supreme Court's decision was formally announced. And most, if not all, abortion clinics in Texas closed their doors on Friday. And on and on and on, the stories could read for quite a while. God was most gracious and is most gracious. But what do we see? There is rejoicing by God's people. But what do we also see across our land besides the rejoicing? Anger, retaliation, rage. 
Look at Psalm chapter 2. Verse 1, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what we're seeing. The nations rage. The peoples literally plotting. But guess what? Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Why are the peoples raging? Because their hearts are wicked and fallen. And let me just, I'll say it again elsewhere, but I'll say it now. And at one point, our hearts were were wicked and full of rage. People in here were very much in favor of intentionally killing innocent human beings, myself included. God was gracious to save us from that. Very gracious. Let that not be forgotten. So we're not pointing fingers here. We're praying for people. I'll also say this did not happen, this decision, because Christians stayed out of politics, but because they were very much involved in politics. It's just the truth. So it is a day of rejoicing. It's also today is a day of lament. We publicly mourn the loss of over 60 million innocent children's lives being snuffed out through abortion. And we remember them. They were unwillingly sacrificed on the altar of selfishness. And we lament the bloodshed and cry out to the Lord to forgive this land and this country. And we continue to cry out, Lord, stop all the innocent bloodshed. Please no more. Look at Psalm 12. It's a psalm of lament. There's different psalms in the Bible, and some of them are psalms of lament. <clears throat> and listen to this psalm. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us, who is master over us. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. What's he doing here? What's David doing? He is lamenting the state of people and how they are reacting. We lament that as well. The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther, 
he said this about the, the Psalms of Lament. He, he really liked them. He said, What is the greatest thing in the Psalter but this earnest speaking amid the storm winds of every kind? Where do you find deeper, more sorrowful, more pitiful words of sadness than in the Psalms of Lamentation? There again you look into the hearts of the saints, as into death, yes, as into hell itself. When they speak of fear and hope, they use such words that no painter could so depict for your fear or hope. And no Cicero or other orator has so portrayed them. And that they speak these words to God and with God, this I repeat, is the best thing of all. This gives the words double earnestness in life. And if you've ever been at any dark places in your life or places of despair or hopelessness, you can find solace in knowing that David and the scriptures himself prayed such prayers. And you can pray them yourself. What I like about the Psalms of Lament is there are always at least, if not more, least hints and glimmers of hope and joy, even in the midst of lamenting. So it's a day of rejoicing. It is a day of lament. It's also a day of thanksgiving. Usually rejoicing and thanksgiving go hand in hand. We are thankful for God's mercy in bringing this atrocity to an end at the federal level. We're thankful for five people who sit on the highest court of the land, and they made a decision that they knew would cause many to speak evil of them, wish them ill, and even try to do them ill. But they made it anyway, knowing it was the right decision. I don't know where their hearts are at, those five, in terms of, of knowing the Lord or not. Maybe they all know him. Maybe none of them know him. But they took a very tough stand. Brothers and sisters, if they can take a stand where they're at, we can take a stand where we're at. Amen. I'm thankful for all those baby bottles we've filled countless times with our loose change to send to thrive. I'm thankful for the millions of hours by volunteers. Thankful for the donations that make organizations like Thrive possible. Today is a day of thankfulness. It's also a day of forgiveness. It's very possible that some in here have had an abortion, encouraged someone to get an abortion, or helped financially support an abortion. Listen, it is never too late for the blood of Jesus to cover your sins. Amen. And if you've repented and been made right with God, then walk in that repentance. If you have truly acknowledged that that wrong before Jesus asked forgiveness and turned away from it, then I have two words for you. Be free. Be free. Too often we let the sins of our past like hang around our neck and weigh us down. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Jesus, it takes care of those sins. It wipes them away as far as the east is from the west. So if you've repented and turned away, regardless of the egregiousness of of that sin or any other sin, walk in freedom. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Amen? Amen. Why did he set us free? For freedom. What was it a freedom to? 
to do whatever we want, to act however we want. No, a freedom to serve the living and true God. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You've been set free from the slavery of sin. Man, that's an amazing thing. You're not just forgiven your sins, but those chains have been broken. And you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. And guess what? That means righteousness is your master. And you serve Jesus, the righteous one. That's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. It is beautiful to think that we have, those chains have been broken. And we are not a slave to sin any longer. Listen, before you got saved, know it or, know it or not, you were a slave to sin, all right? And you had a list a mile long of all those sins. But you trust in Christ, those chains are broken. You've been set free from that slavery. You get a new master, and you want a new master. You want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You want him to be your master, because guess what? That's the one you want to serve. So now, you're a slave to the righteousness. To serve in righteousness, to walk in righteousness, to be righteous in his sight as we are. Some people will say, oh, something like this has no place in the pulpit. Listen, brothers and sisters, people are going to hear about this topic. You already have. You probably, potentially, if you've had the news on or been on any type of social media, you've had potentially hours and hours just from Friday on this particular subject. I'm going to submit to you, how about you get some biblical truth on the subject? So people are, are going to hear about this topic from others. Hey, I'd actually like to hear what some spiritual authorities have to say on the issue. Yes. I'd submit that because some pastors have been bold and willing to address the issue for the last 49 years, it helped pave the way for Friday's decision. One of the Democratic candidates running for president in 2020, he argued that abortion was okay according to the Bible. Listen, if that's not addressed, if nothing has ever responded from publicly, guess what the assumption is? It's true. If no one pushes back, people believe it. So pastors are called upon to address the cultural issues of the day. I was having lunch with a brother just a few days ago, and, and what I was telling him was there is many aspects and truths in the sense that my sermon 100 years from now should still be completely and totally applicable. And if it was written 100 years ago, it should be completely and totally applicable and understandable and hold to the truth of Scripture. But there's another sense where 100 years ago or 100 years from now, they should be scratching their head a little bit trying to figure out exactly what was said in certain parts. Why? Because of the cultural the culture that we find ourselves in, <clears throat> certain issues have to be addressed. Hopefully, the issues of today aren't the issues of tomorrow, including this issue. So they can look back and maybe hear this sermon and scratch their head and be like, what, did he, what was he kind of talking about regarding those justices or something like that? There's a sense that the, the sermon should be very much applicable to the culture today, but it should be timeless in regards to the truths of Scripture that it expounds. You hearing me? Yeah. And let me just say this. It's a hard truth, but call yourself a Christian all you want. But if you're disappointed or upset at the decision handed down on Friday, you need to seriously go back the Bible and check your faith. I say that in love, not in judgment. And I'll share this. Listen, 
when I first got saved, I remember sitting in one of my pastor's basements at a, at a youth meeting. <clears throat> I was in college. And I remember he wasn't even really hitting on the pro-life issue. But he just made some, some passing comment on the topic of pro-life. And I remember sitting there as a new believer thinking to myself, I, I think he actually might be pro-life. But, I, but I'm pro-choice. I'm like, and that's a problem. <laughs> like, one, only one of us can be right. Only one of us. And I was like, you know what? I trust God's word enough that it's going to show me the truth on that matter. And guess what? The Lord showed me the truth on that matter and changed my heart. Some people act out of ignorance and believe out of ignorance. That's where I was at. I just needed instruction in God's word. Some people act out of hardness of hearts and deceitfulness of sin. Listen, God abhors the shedding of innocent blood. He couldn't, he couldn't make it any clearer. He abhors the shedding of innocent blood. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. In verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And let me, let me just make a little side note here, because sometimes we're like, oh, all sins are equal, all sins are equal. I know that's a sermon in and of itself. Um, but when he calls something an abomination, that's in a different category. So in that sense, not all sins are equal. Anyway, we'll get that another day. But it is important to know. Six sins that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. He doesn't call all sins abominations, but he's calling these seven abominations haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. That is an abomination to him. An abomination. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sorts discord among brothers. Those are things that he abhors. It is wrong, to be clear, it is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Everyone should memorize that little phrase right there. And just go around whenever the need is. This next week, two weeks, month, that's what you need to repeat. That subject comes up. It is wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Well, why all the talk about this? Because this sin has pervaded our land for 49 years. Second, God's word talks about it repeatedly. We could look at verse after verse, but in Leviticus, he's commanding them, do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch. Now, <clears throat> Moloch was a Canaanite underworld deity, and he was represented as this like upright, uh, bullheaded idol with a human body. And when they would create these idols, they would create like where his stomach would be with these, I mean, these big idols. I'm not talking like a little guy. I'm talking like a huge idol. They would create where his belly was a fire, and then he would have his arms like outstretched. And guess how they would sacrifice their children? They would literally stoke that fire and get it as hot as possible and then place the baby into his arms. The baby would literally burn to death.
That's horrible and wicked. And then we're like, oh, why did God judge the Canaanites? Gee, I wonder. And the Lord says, Isaiah 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And that's not said for us to be like, yeah, that's right. They've got it coming to them. Listen, when we say that, they have it coming to them. We need to say that with fear and trepidation because, brothers and sisters, we shouldn't want that on anybody. We pray and hope for their repentance. And when that word woe is used, it's the idea of grief, anguish, affliction, wretchedness, calamity, trouble, or wrath poured out on a person. Woe to those. Isaiah's not rejoicing in that fact. He's just saying, guess what? It's going to be really ugly for them on the day of judgment. It's also a day of salvation. We should pray unto that end. If God can use tragedies to save people, then he can use something like this law being thrown down to save people. He can expose hearts, but guess what? When hearts are exposed, the light of Christ can shine in. So let's pray to that end. 2 Corinthians 6 says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold... Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. So, as the dust is stirred up, let us look more and more for opportunities to share the truth of Christ, to share the love of Christ, to share the hope of Christ. Let us look for those opportunities. And let me say this, it's also a day of hope. Think about this. Our God was willing to spare Sodom if 10 righteous people were found. 10 righteous. Might we ask the Lord to spare our country a little bit longer in the hope that more people might repent, in the hope that maybe it might actually turn back to the Lord, that more people would get saved. Praise the Lord that he is long-suffering. Okay? He puts up with us. And puts up with us. And puts up with us. Saved and unsaved. And he is a God that's slow to anger. And quick to forgive. You know Jonah is sent to Nineveh right? Y'all know the story. What happens? The people repent. What does God do? Well they repent. The judgment doesn't come. Y'all. We need to see ourselves. like, Like Jonah's. We're the Jonas, and some of us we've been we've been we've been sailing down to Tarshish because we've been afraid. We're the Jonas, and we're being sent to Nineveh, a godless city, a godless land. But they need the truth. And friends, brothers, and sisters, we know from past experience that when the message of God goes forth, there are some who get saved. There are some who repent. And so guess what? We continue forward with that message because today is the day of salvation. There's been, there, there's, I mean, literally today is the day of salvation. There's, there's hundreds of people, maybe thousands, maybe even more, I don't know. But people are getting saved today. Not just in this country, across the world. Right? 
This is the day of salvation, literally, for some people. About a week ago, we had a day of salvation at our summer camp for a handful of people, all right? That was their day of salvation. God, I mean, God's always doing a work. Always, always doing a work. The, mat, the question is just, are we going to join them in that work? Are we going to be a part of it? So let's join them. Let, let's be the Jonas. There's always going to be the naysayers. Look at Nehemiah, back in Nehemiah here. Chapter 6. Like everyone's trying to discourage Nehemiah from, from building this wall. Leaders, authorities, people in power. It says in verse 6, or sorry, in verse 5, in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servants to me with an open letter in his hand. Sanballat, I mean, he doesn't like Nehemiah, he doesn't like what's going on. Fifth time he's gone to him. And it was written, it, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem, some of your versions might say uh, Gashmu. Uh, Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. <coughs> what are they trying to do? Intimidate him. Make him stop the work. <clears throat> Scare him into stopping. There's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be fear mongers. There's always going to be people who threaten. All sorts of lies. All sorts of lies. All sorts of slander. All sorts of, of gossip. Well, well, Gashmu says it, and it must be true. Some of y'all need to learn to recognize the Gashmus around you. And just because Gashmu says it doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. Right? We need to pray for our, our brothers and sisters that are on the front front lines. <clears throat> There's been 63 acts of threats of violence or actual violence since the original leak back at the beginning of May. And besides the one person that was arrested that threatened to, uh, was threatening to kill Justice Kavanaugh, um, there has been not a single arrest at all. That's horrible. That is horrible. Buildings have been vandalized. Just yesterday, a pregnancy center in Colorado was, was set on fire. I mean, the list goes on and on. 63 acts. We must pray for the safety of our brothers and sisters fighting on those front lines. All sorts of craziness. People running into churches and doing all sorts of crazy things. And finally, and this is important, today is a day of pushing forward. Okay, We don't let up until we cross the finish line. We don't let up until we cross the finish line. You know, I'm kind of a sports guy. In the playoffs, you know, usually there's different rounds for the playoffs. You know, you're working towards the championship round. And when a team advances to the next round, you know, usually when they interview the coach, what, I mean, usually he says something like, hey, we're going to enjoy this victory today, uh, but the work isn't done. 
The work isn't done. We still have a lot to accomplish. Well, well that's us. Okay, God's given us a great victory, but, but we, need, we have more victories than lay in store and more work to be done. Okay? They're estimating between 20 and 25 states will end up having um, very restrictive abortion laws. Okay, 20 to 25. But that means there's 25 to 30 that won't. Okay? So guess, you know, we're starting. Where, where did we start? Exactly where God put us. Right? St. Charles County, Missouri, and then the work goes from there. So then we continue to work and pray to that end. It's a day of pushing forward. I've had many people, understandably, express their concern that the Christian church would finally think they get to rest and just stop with this victory. That's not true. That's what Satan wants you to believe. There is much work to be accomplished still. Okay? And maybe even a host of more ministry opened up to us as, as women will be having babies that they initially might not want. And we need to be there to love them and minister to them and help them as we have in the past. And as I know we will continue to do. Are we in the minority? I don't know. But if you have Jesus, you're always on the winning side. All right? And John Knox, the great preacher, he said, a man with God is always in the majority. And if you're in Christ, all right, you're on the right side of history. Because history is going to end. There's another side. There's like history part two. All right? In the new heavens and the new earth. You want to make sure you're there. One man, Nehemiah, was used by God and to rally others to make a difference. And millions made a difference here. Maybe tens of millions. We need to be those next Jonas and Nehemiahs. Regardless, you know, you read through Nehemiah, maybe you should do that in your quiet time. There's a lot of people listed there. It wasn't just Nehemiah, right? He kind of gets all the all the accolades, a lot of names listed that we don't know anything about except they just get a little, little part of one verse in the Bible. Yet, guess what? They were counted. They did their part. They did their part. And someday, in glory, I think we'll see and hear about the countless saints that never get any accolades on this earth. who did much, 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 much for the Lord. My encouragement is to be one of those. Make much, much, much difference for the Lord. Friends, I'd rather be counted with the Lamb and be one of His, even if that means i got to be spit on, insulted, talked evilly about, looked down upon, than be counted with the serpent and be one of His. Choose the Lamb. Choose the Lamb. Slain before the foundation. So we rejoice in what God is doing. Amen. He's doing a good work. We ask that he continue that good work. We're thankful for him. We're also lamenting the lost lives. I encourage you, if you've not trusted in Christ, make, make today your day of salvation. Trust in him. And today is the day we press on further to be salt and light, for righteousness to reign. I'm going to have the worship team come on up. I've asked... Um, a few people to pray.
before the worship team starts. Maybe, Laura, you can play some uh, background music. And there's kind of two, two different um, things I've asked them to focus on. I've asked a few people to come up and pray, thinking and rejoicing in the Lord of what he's done. But then I've also asked a few people to come up and focus on praying for us to continue to walk in righteousness and push forward and walk in truth and righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for what you've done. You use all sorts of means to bring yourself glory. All sorts of means. So we thank you that you can even use five justices to bring you glory. You can use five justices to strike down a a, a wicked uh, law. And Lord, we pray, not just for the 20 to 25 states that are restricting it, but we just pray completely in, in these United States of America that it would be completely abolished fully, 100%. That we, as a nation, would completely and entirely stop intentionally killing innocent human beings. Lord, forgive our land for such atrocities. 60 million reasons and counting, God. 60 million lives and counting. Forgive us. I ask you to continue to stay your hand of judgment so that more might come into the kingdom. That you continue to give our country opportunities to repent and turn to you. Continue to put, Lord, men of righteousness who fear you into key positions, not just in this government, in the state government, but also in businesses to be shining lights for you, Lord, and help us to continue to walk in righteousness before you, to rejoice in what you rejoice in, to walk before you, Lord, in your glory with the hope that you give us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.